Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, people of all ages, welcome back to the Sticky Floors podcast. I am one of your hosts, Speed, and tonight I'm joined <laughs> by Tyrone. <laughs> now, well, this is CJ. I'm joined by Mr. Will. Um, I'm talking about Speed and Tyrone because tonight we are talking about Hollywood Shuffle. And if you have seen the movie Hollywood Shuffle, you know that there's a skit about... Um, <laughs> What is it called? Brothers critiquing movies. Yeah, and, uh, it's featuring Speed and Tyrone. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that movie. Um, I know that this was one of your selections, Mister Will. Uh, yeah, why man. don't you you know just kind of give people an overview of it because this is a movie that came out in 1987. It's a long time ago. Um, well, you know, depending on who you are, it could you know it was a long time ago. <laughs> Some people may not be familiar with this movie at all, but this is an important movie in this month of black movies that we're talking about celebrating black history month and uh hollywood shuffle has a lot of very important themes to black people so if you can just let everybody have like an overview of it and then we can start to chop it up yeah man uh thank you for that brilliant introduction cj um i mean uh speed uh so uh (laughs) we're talking about this 1987 film by uh mr robert townsend uh it's almost autobiographical you would say as uh, Robert Townsend, like Bobby, and that's the uh, character he plays, for those that don't know, is a very talented and ambitious entertainer who's uh, trying to make his way in the world with thoughts of uh, stardom and being a uh, great actor, or thespian, rather. Um, and like Robert, um, he has found himself in a very compromising position, maybe not to the same degree as Mr. Townsend, but uh, nonetheless, one where... Uh, he questions whether or not he's doing the work that he aspires to do. Uh, as you know, Mr. Robert Townsend would go on to not only direct, but produce a, a number of influential shows that you probably don't even recognize uh, are influencing your favorite show. It's almost like that phrase of your rapper's favorite rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. with respect to that, you're talking about uh, a movie and just the title alone that highlights the uh, and speaks to the demeaning process that actors must go through in order to obtain uh, their roles that they play. Uh, you're speaking to uh, a discussion about foolishness and a single mindedness that a, 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 a fair amount of producers um, still continue to see blacks uh, with respect to having limited roles in Hollywood and on the TV screen. Uh, there's a multitude of uh, intentional, idiotic skits. Uh, there's fantasy sequences, uh, staged auditions, uh, commercials that are part of basically a gag reel. Um, you have even the uh, traditional domestic scenes, uh, you know, your your obligated uh, slavery scene slash butler scene. Uh, just basically the stereotypical roles that Black people were uh, supposedly only able to play. Uh, Hollywood Shuffle is a movie that's so full of promise and and hope uh, for future generations who happen to be any type of so-called minority where they can see themselves in the uh, uh, very diverse uh, uh, group of individuals who come together, who, mind you, uh, they were in things with uh, Mr. Townsend as well as on improv and uh, just a host of other things that where you may say, I don't remember that guy's name or I don't remember her name, but I know them by face because they're such talented character actors as the uh, uh, little colloquialism is used in uh, the uh, film. To surmise, you're dealing with uh, an individual who is the eldest of two brothers raised by a single mother who also uh, has their maternal grandmother under the same roof as them, which also kind of echoes Robert Townsend's life as well, where he was raised in a quote unquote single family home as well in Chicago. Uh, in this case, Bobby's raised in what I can surmise is L.A., mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless, you're talking about a a major urban U.S. city um, that's heavily populated by uh, black and brown people. Nonetheless, uh, I think this movie speaks to uh, not only the heart, determination, and grit that we so-called have to, quote-unquote, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but as CJ reminded me earlier in the pre-production meeting, this is, in essence, the symbol, uh, excuse me, symbol of Kujijagalia, self-determination, uh, which is widely predominant in Kwanzaa. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. Thank you for that intro, um, for that comprehensive intro, not only about the movie, but also about Robert Townsend. You know, this is, um, you know, you, you talked to, the last thing you said there was about the idea of self-determination. When I, I remember watching this movie like years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how much Robert Townsend used Hollywood Shuffle as kind of the foundation for the other things that he would go on to produce. So, right, you know, right. like the character in this, Bobby Taylor, is wrestling with this idea of, I want to play roles that matter. I want to run the spectrum of what acting is. I don't want to just be a pimp or a slave in in mm-hmm. cinema, right? And then Robert Townsend goes out and he creates the roles and the films and the stories that give that that width of and yep. depth to the idea of acting, which is amazing. Cause you know, this is Robert Townsend, he makes Meteor Man, right? Black superhero, which is a reference to this movie. He makes the five heartbeats, which yep. oh. five characters. I mean, amazing. Story. Everybody loves the five heartbeats. Classic. You know, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. is there a heart in the house tonight? Like we all like everybody, everybody, everybody Eddie Kane Eddie Jr. Kane, you know what I'm saying? You know, you can't sing like me. Like everybody knows that that's like a classic movie. <laughs> But it's so much depth and he gives you the depth of like five black male characters going through this evolution process of becoming, you know, superstars and what happens to them. Then he gives you the parenthood, which is like mm-hmm. kind of a modern day version of the of the Cosby show, but like a very yeah. like grounded down to earth, like black family sitcom with positive images yeah. and all those things associated with it. And all of these things are what he wanted to do with Hollywood Shuffle and what he was talking about with it. So it's amazing. It's like, it's like you said, it's Kuji Chagli, it's self-determination. He went out and said, I'm going to define myself for myself instead of being named and defined by someone else. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about that though, CJ? If you check out the credits just alone, you're talking about a man who gave Beyonce a chance to act before she was Beyonce. So you're talking about Carmen, a hip hop. Which I loved. I mean, <laughs> which, which, which I love. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why that's why I reference it because these are things that like there's they fly under the radar, but you don't understand the hidden hand and the process behind it. Like everybody wants to be in front of the camera, mm-hmm. but there's so many roles behind the camera, whether it's key grip, uh, even the tax accountant or the uh or the caterer, the the individuals in charge of the lighting, stage hands, you name it. It's not just the producer and the director and the screenplay. No, there's countless of other jobs that uh, I was watching this uh, documentary about black cowboys and how Mm -hmm. their influence became into stuntmen and that how there's a ranch out in California owned by black folk and they rent out their horses to use in a lot of movies that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even think of. Um, But getting back to Robert Townsend, I just want to run down this real quick, just so for the folks that at home. Uh, or watching us on YouTube aren't aware of. You're talking about he's directed everything from Bill Cosby 77, like you said, the five heartbeats. You mentioned uh, uh, the superhero movie uh, Meteor uh, Man. Meteor mm-hmm. Man. But for those that are into DC, he's also directed and performed in Black Lightning, mm-hmm. which was on the CW, mm-hmm. uh, a modernized take of a black superhero. Then you got American Soul, Wonder Years which everyone knows about, but this is the more modernized yeah. version. Um, Kaleidoscope, you mentioned it to me, The Bear. And for those that are like me and CJ, he's directed uh, 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 a couple of episodes of uh, Power uh, Force with your man mm-hmm. Tommy, who everyone says gets an invite to the uh, proverbial uh, barbecue. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, uh, oh, shout out to uh, Jason Sikor. Uh, so, like, you, you also got to remember, too, the Little Richard movie, since you want to talk about, you know, individuals playing biopic uh, singing roles. He's produced Little Rich. Oh, excuse me, directed Little Richard. Um, he's directed uh, Bapes. That's the mm-hmm. Halle Berry movie where they had the yeah, weird, funny yeah. hair. And and even though it was clown, but you could see the diversity in the projects he's chosen to be hands on mm-hmm. with. So it's almost very meticulous and also scripted in such a way where it shows his diversity to be able to navigate. Hey, I can do this. I can do that. I can specialize in certain things. I can bring on young talent that maybe wouldn't get a shot elsewhere. And we can also break new ground in these new avenues and these new spaces where we've been typecast that we don't normally participate in. 
So major prudos to him, which also I got to give a shout out to Mr. Byron Allen, media mogul, attempted to purchase uh, Black uh, BET, Black Entertainment Television. Um, they kind of work in tandem where maybe not tradition in the traditional physical sense, but in the sense of uh, figuratively where like we're talking about right now, giving highlight, giving flowers, giving praise to individuals who go under the radar that are very influential in the culture, as we say, uh, again, as another colloquialism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, um, in the case of, you know, what, what Robert Townsend is doing with this movie is really, you know, he's asking that age old question, who gets to control the image of black people? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and he's doing that in film, right? In, in film, he's saying, who gets to control the image of black people? And it's intentional that the writers and the, the people that are um, getting to decide who's going to be actors in this movie are all white people, right? Because that it's telling you without like being so heavy handed about it, although the movie can be heavy handed in some parts, that <laughs> at, at this time in 1987, there's not that level of control of the black image to the extent that it is today. And I think, you know, one of the things we will talk about a little bit later is what's kind of happened since this movie. But this is an important concept of who controls your image, because whoever controls the image controls how you're going to be seen, not only in America, but also across the whole world. Globally, right? yeah. And this movie, you know, like in just in talking about the cultural, the cultural, how it influences other things. I mean, this is a precursor to movies like Bamboozled, Spike Lee's Bamboozled, which you know, it also deals with the idea of how people are seen in television and what's mm -hmm. what 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 does it mean to be a minstrel or a modern day minstrel show? Um, you have a Living Large uh, with T.C. Carlson, which also deals with this, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great like little com uh, comedy about a, about a brother who gets on a, a news network and is wrestling with identity as a result of that. Um, this also this also even gets like Brown Sugar, which you talked about before yep. with uh, Tay Diggs, Most Def, Queen Latifah. Sanaa Lathan and this idea of like hip hop music, the authentic hip hop, and then like as juxtaposed against the hip hop Dalmatians and things like yeah. that. And then, you know, most recently there's a movie that just came out this um, last month, uh, American Fiction, which has Jeffrey mm -hmm. Wright in it and then deals with this idea of who controls like what is defined as black when it when in literature. So this this there's a continuum of what Robert Townsend is doing from this movie but this movie Hollywood Shuffle, this is part of the foundation. And oh no, no, definitely, most definitely. Yeah, it's part of the foundation, and it's something that, as a result, it's an important movie to just discuss, and it's an important movie to talk about, right? Oh yeah, and I think the thing to piggyback on that is you got to remember in '89, Denzel wins the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. That's mm -hmm. two years after this movie. Mm -hmm. which also speaks to the credible roles that black people were looking for at that time. And if you think about from Dorothy Danridge to Sidney Poitier to Denzel, you're talking about 50 years in yeah. that span. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not chump change. That's, that's some people don't even live five minutes, obviously, but 50 years, that's a, that's a, that's a human being's lifespan. I mean, and then when you can, when you compare and contrast that to there's an interview with uh, Toni Morrison in which she speaks to the, the, the topic that's, excuse me, the topic of black readers under white gaze that speaks mm -hmm. to American fiction mm -hmm. where, where um, uh, uh, Tyler, Tyler Perry even speaks to it. He says uh, something to the effect, and obviously I'm paraphrasing that he doesn't look to seek uh a ringing endorsement from the mainstream. He doesn't make pictures for them, just mm -hmm. like they don't make pictures for us. So therefore, it's a non-issue. It's a non-starter for him. So when he's making it a Medea, which keeping it a hundred, I hate that entire series, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't like seeing black men in dresses. But that's just me. Um, I just look at it to the effect of there's still an audience for that. They may not uh, like the caricatures mm -hmm. that are portrayed on screen but it's what's beneath the surface where it speaks to them, where you may have a, a, a matriarch in, in charge of your family who's very domineering and very boisterous and opinionated. You may have an uncle who's down on his luck, always borrowing a dollar from somebody, you know, and is very uh, on the stoop all the time. You know what I mean? Um, you may have a uh, up and coming cousin who's very uh, intellectual and trying to get out 
and make something of himself. And he's ambitious in that regard from an academic standpoint. So these movies, these shows, these plays, even though they're not for everyone, that also speaks to black people because we're not just this monolith and everyone thinks the same, this cookie cutter, like even between us, the, the, I'm pretty sure those that have watched us know that the reason why I feel that this works is that CJ and I complement each other in a way that will speak to later on our popcorn scale that, you know, it may, it may clash here and there. It might, one of us might like something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of us might not. Yeah. It, it, it absolutely, it absolutely works. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's value, you know, we, mm-hmm. movies are art, right. And art has to, at some, at some level be, it has to be able mm-hmm. to be whatever it is and be subject to the interpretation yep. of someone else. You and I may watch the same thing and get something completely different out of it. And that might be different than what the director mm-hmm. even meant by it altogether. And that's, and that's fine. And even whether, whether the direct, whether the, the director is Tyler Perry or whether it's Spike Lee, or in this case, whether it's Robert Townsend, they are, they have this space to create something that speaks to some part of the idea of what this mm-hmm. world looks like from their perspective. And if it works for you, then right. you, you like it. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. you don't like it. Right. But that's, that doesn't negate the value of it because it does, it is resonating with yep. someone somewhere. Otherwise it exactly. wouldn't exist. You know what I'm saying? So, so this movie resonates because it is telling a relevant mm-hmm. story about identity and what happens. And let's keep it, let's keep it real. Like they did yeah. this themselves. This movie was made on a hundred thousand yep. dollar budget. They financed it themselves mm-hmm. on credit, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it went on to make $5.2 million. And in that sense, it kind of gave Robert Townsend the green light to move forward with his career and to create some of the other visionary things that he was able to do. Now the question becomes, you know, mm. what happened? Right. And so, and so like, you know, we talked about this before and I, I think it's important to just reference this here. And this is, this is my perspective, my perspective. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. Robert Townsend um, has always been a champion of black movies, black television and in making sure that certain stories mm-hmm. are told. And I remember years ago, there used to be a movie called um, The Spook Who mm-hmm. Sat by the Door, based on the book, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, which is made by Sam Greenlee. The book is fantastic, by the way. The movie is very, very hard to see. It actually came out, it was actually released in movie mm-hmm. theaters. And it was in the theaters for two weeks before it got taken limited. out. Because anyone who's ever, right, limited, <laughs> limited release, limited engagement. <laughs> Anyone, anyone who's familiar with the book or the movie knows it is probably one of the most revolutionary pieces of film mm-hmm. created in terms of telling a story of a black person truly fighting against right, the right. system from within and outside of the system, right? Um, they got rid of it really quickly. Robert Townsend was instrumental in bringing it back to even DVD quality because for a long time, it could only be found mm. on video. Right. And I remember in college, somebody had the video, which is how I was exactly. able to see it. It became a DVD. Now, I don't even know what happened to it since it became mm-hmm. a DVD. But after that point, he did a lot of things. But I think the spotlight on him as the creator, to me, kind of diminished because, like I said, I think that movie in particular challenges so many of the ideas of what you can do and the stories that you can tell in Black cinema. Um, in a way that there's nothing else that I've ever seen that's even close to it that's being produced at that scale. And now, you know, and now, you know, like the average person probably doesn't, is not, it is not familiar with Robert Townsend or doesn't even know all of these things that he created that are the foundation for so many things that we love and see now. Well, I think that's the point, CJ, that you, that not only this platform as a whole is trying to highlight, but also individuals as, as a, uh, as young as our children and even younger. Um, You have a lot of musicians right now where they don't even need a record label and they're able to promote their own art, their own material uh, via all of these streaming uh, platforms. Now the pros to that are, hey, you know, they're constructive, they're taking the bull by the horns or the proverbial reins of the horse and they're out there and they're doing it. They don't even go to school. They say, hey, I don't need the classroom. I wanna be an entrepreneur. This is the fat. This is the avenue for me to utilize in order to bring that to fruition. 
the con is some of these individuals, they need some seasoning. They need an A&R. They need someone to mm-hmm. harness that talent, put it in focus, and actually help finish the product. Um, but then you say to yourself, okay, well, you got these labels, a la, uh, you know, Def Jam, Columbia, Geffen, all these entities. They only want to deal with these people after they've already established themselves. So say they have 50 billion trillion uh, spins and they have 500 million followers. Well, at this point, I don't need you. I'm generating an Mm -hmm. income on a monthly basis, weekly basis. That's more than sufficient. I have the individuals like you take a Ryan Leslie. He's broken it down to where, hey, if I just focus on my core audience, give them the special invites where they know on the meet and greet and they can get a package. So it's more about purchasing an event, an environment in which is conducive for a truly interactive experience between the artists and the consumer. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about Mm -hmm. what Robert Townsend has tried to usher in, not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, 30, 40, 50. I mean, this guy was in Cooley High in 1975. So you're talking about someone who was ambitious enough to say, hey, at a young age, I want to be on the silver screen. I know I can bring my dreams come true, make my dreams come true. I can be a producer, an actor, a writer. That is mimicked in this show of Bobby Taylor looking after his younger mm-hmm. brother, uh, his younger brother helping him with his lines in the bathroom, the, ad- the adulation mm-hmm. that he's getting, and his mother being supportive. There's no conflict of saying, hey, you know, I'm the mother here. I don't have to iron your shirt. No, she irons the shirt in a loving, caring way and yeah. a respectful way because he tells her to hurry up. She tells him, I'm working as fast as I can. There's no pushback or anything. It's just a normal exchange. Yes, the grandmother, Helen Martin, love her to death. Um, rest in peace. 227, rest man. 227. She, even though she's disapproving of the role, she's supportive of her family. And she mm-hmm. does it in a way where it's not so heavy handed. Yes, there is a scene where she says that essentially she doesn't care if he can hear her, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's done in such a nurturing, caring way where, like you uh, discussed in the pre-meeting, I don't know if we have that sense of community where my parents would see you doing maybe something wrong or your parents would see me out there saying something that I shouldn't have said. And then not only them disciplining me, but saying, wait till I tell your parents. And then my parents being cool with it not taking offense to it and recognizing the whole, it takes a village. And then in turn, you know, that policing established a, a series of kinship, respect, the ability to want to do better. I don't think we necessarily have that. So that's a, that's a great point. And we're, I have a, I have a question about that, that comes out of this. Um, I also just, I also have to say that one of the things that I did not realize about this is uh, that this is also co-written by Keenan Ivory Wayne. Oh yeah. So, I mean, and then, you know, of course, Ken and Ivory Reigns, like a year before Robert Townsend makes Robert Townsend and his partners in crime, that's when A Living Color takes off. Mm -hmm. And think about all the people that In Living Color has given shine to. And I'm thinking like, I just watched Saturday Night Live and saw uh, Jennifer Lopez on Mm -hmm. it. And I remember when Jennifer Lopez was a fly girl on it. So that there's just so many people that their career started from the genius of these two men working together and from the genius of Robert Townsend. Um, yo, let's talk about, let's talk about the cake of, of the movie. Oh, uh, a couple of things that we really, that we really dug. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give a couple of things that I really, I really thought was great. Um, one, there's a couple of lines that I thought were really relevant. When he talks to the guy who makes the show, uh, Batty, the Batty show. Oh. Thing, and, and the guy says, yo, it's not about, it's not about art. It's about sequel. Mm-hmm. And the idea that he conveys that, I mean, like, that's what we see now. Everything is like, how can I get the sequel? Even like you and I have talked about, we go to movies and it feels like they're trying to sell you the next movie mm-hmm. that's going to come out. Like they don't even finish the story of this movie because the next one's going to come out. And just how how that becomes like what people are shooting for. So I thought that was a really, that was a really uh, fun line. Um, Cake wise, yo, I love the the uh, speed and Tyrone that we talked about from the mm-hmm. beginning. Yo, the clip for the movie Attack of the Street Pimps is hilarious. Like, <laughs> let's just keep it. That's hilarious. That is a hilarious thing, man. If you if you have never seen it, just watch that thing. It's it's it's, it's hilarious. Oh, um, man. 
Yo, I like the I like the PI skit Sam Ace because like mm, yeah yeah I remember yeah. I remember like when those shows used to come on at night and it would be the always a detective show like when I was when we were growing up it was Kojak Kojak was always on and Columbo you know it was uh, always like at, at night those shows coming on the detective show it's just great um, and then the last thing is I love I love the scene when he goes back that the imagination of him going back to the hot dog stand as a yeah, celebrity. Yeah, yeah. And like just how broken down all the people used to work the hot dog stand, that's my cake. And those are some of the scenes that were just funny to me. Well, just piggybacking off of that, I want to hearken to some of the things you mentioned. One is, um, I don't know where it was, but they used the uh, Attack of the Zombie Pimps type scene in a, a couple of rap videos that I, I just can't remember the name, but I, I just mm-hmm. distinctly remember that scene. Uh, for me, it was uh, Mike Hammer starring Stacy Keach. Oh, uh, I CBS. remember Mike Hammer. That's, yeah, 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 that's yeah. the detective yep, thing yep. where it it kind of like led me down that parallel. Um, you mentioned um, uh, what was it? It was in my head. Uh, oh man, what was the scene? Oh, you mentioned about uh, Olivia Color coming out. I think eighty six. So yeah. mm-hmm. 87 is also I'm going to get you sucker starring Keenan Ivory Wayans. Right. So when he does the skits in between these three films during that that one to two year period, some of the things you see is the Jerry Curl activator scene, which is one of the yeah. things that is funny to me and his hair is shriveling. Like yeah, for those, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So if, some, if, if people can remember, like you had to stay with an activator. So like mm-hmm. the thing was, it looked wet, but it was dry a la Dion. Uh, mm-hmm. Deion Sanders, that is. Um, so that that was really funny for me. But the overall thing that I'm getting out of that is I like the movie within the movie. So mm. traditionally, when you have the movie within the movie, you'll have someone who's playing a character and then in real life, they're being filmed. And occasionally they might break the fourth wall. But here you'll have daydream sequences of him about to play a character while he's playing himself in an autobiographical. Like that's triple quadruple entendre if you will Mm -hmm. if you want to make the allusion to so i love that aspect of him and the funny commercials which is a perfect segue to what i think is the most hilarious thing in this whole movie is him breaking into the british character voice as a butler in a slave film and he calls it a school and everybody the ensemble cast that he worked with in improv and along the way and all these other additional shows that he was in like they all come together and that for me was hilarious even where you see like people you wouldn't expect giving jive quote unquote jive lessons or Mm -hmm. how to dance or they don't have rhythm but they're showing you how to have like the 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 satire is so palpable you could cut it with a knife um again the cast major kudos to bring out the weigh-ins even though it's only three of them this time kim damon and keenan um you can still see the influences Absolutely. that they would later bring to to the forefront of their own individual careers and how they still partnered with each other in things like meteor man or in living color or whatever have you um and finally the the last thing for me of course um, besides the cast, besides the movie, within the movie is the various themes that we've touched upon and that we'll continue to touch upon in the latter half of this here show. Got it. Got it. And then there's a there's a couple of things on the hate side, a couple of things I didn't like. It's not really a lot. It's actually just it's actually just one thing um, <laughs> at the end. So I like I like how the movie flows and I, I do like the like the skit scenes in the middle. Um, yeah. The last one, though, where he just kind of when he's in bed and he just dreams of all the little things yeah, like yeah. Him winning the Academy Award, and yeah, yeah, the Superman skid and the mm-hmm. you know King Lear joint. I just don't like that. Yeah. I just it just it to me to me it just felt like it just felt like they were like, dang, this movie is like seventy two minutes. We needed to be we needed to get to seventy six. Let's just throw in, <laughs> throw in two minutes, throw in four minutes to the four minutes of the open it sticks to the wall. Yeah, those four minutes of those scenes that we didn't use. Let's throw that in, and then at the end, you know, I the you know the rap song at the end, I just don't like that either, man. That that was like, that was just too much. Like we talked, you talked about this a little bit last week with with, with uh, Black Panther. Sometimes you mm. want to go to the movies. You don't necessarily want to be hit over the head with a message. This yeah. one is like, yo, don't be a N-I-G-G-E-R, right? It hits you over the head with it. 
And it's like, I get it. I got it. Like You don't have to do a rap at the end of the movie <laughs> to tell me that. I got the message. I got the point. Mm-hmm. It just, it was just excessive. So that's my, that's my things that I didn't like. I think the only thing in this movie I didn't like, and maybe it's just because I've never really been comfortable with it, is the so-called jive talk. Mm. Other than that, this movie is 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 perfect for me. And the reason why I say I don't like the jive talk, I guess, is because it does bring me back to a period in which um, there appeared to be too many stereotypes about who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, platform shoes, uh, butterfly collars, uh, Cadillacs. Like, not every person could afford a Cadillac. Not every person wanted to dress in a zoot suit. Not every person wanted to go dancing or whatever have you. You do have uh, post office workers, barbershops, accountants, doctors, you know, all living in the same neighborhood Mm -hmm. um, where they were just professional blue-collar workers, uh, some even white-collar workers. So the fact that they emphasized this, this trope of the pimp, slick hustler, uh, and the way he talks, like, that's the part that kind of irked me. Yeah. Like, let me, man. <laughs> like, those things. <laughs> it's painful. It's, it's painful yeah. to watch. And it's like, yes. even to this day, knowing that the scene is going to happen where he has to do that. Yeah. And his family yeah. there, you know it's going to happen. And it's still painful to watch mm-hmm. it. It's the, because the other thing is that you know that that's real. Like, yeah, somebody yeah. had to do that in order to feed their family if they want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's like that's yeah. that's a painful thing, man. And um, you know, unfortunately, it's a real thing as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I got a couple. I got a couple questions. Um, and these are some of these are like in movie questions, and some of these are maybe outside a little bit more existential questions. I'm going to start with like an in movie question. So, at the end of the movie, Bobby is uh, doing a commercial for the post office because. As you know, okay. there's always work at the post office, which is why this episode is called "There's Work at the Post Office." Do you famous think, line by Helen Martin? Right. Do you do you think in the end that Bobby Taylor actually becomes a, a, an actor, like in movies? Um. So that scene where he's actually at the end, smiling, posing in a government job, because that was the thing: got to get yourself benefits, mm-hmm. got to get a government job, and. Biggie kind of updated it with don't be mad UPS is hiring. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at like, man, this is a safe space for him. You know, it's a reliable check and it's reputable, you know, so there's nothing really, no downside to it. But then I'm like, man, this dude listened to his uncle tell him a part of him, essentially a part of him died when he started listening to everyone else mm-hmm. and stopped listening to himself and chasing his dreams. So I'd like to think that Bobby really internalized that message and he was like you know what i'm gonna give this my all until the wheels fall off and i'm gonna stick with this acting yeah i'd like to believe that too and i'd like to believe that the real robert townsend is what bobby taylor actually becomes in the end of yes he has robert townsend's career which by the way robert townsend is still acting now he's playing the uh he's in the bear he plays the father of the the sister on Mm -hmm. the emmy award it was just on Saturday Night Live with with uh, Jen, oh, I'm not Jen Jackson, Jennifer Lopez. So she was just yes. on there. I'm gonna I'm gonna get her name here in a second. Oh, that's what it is. Shout out to the cast of In Living Color from Jamie Fox. Glad to see that he's doing well. All the way to Jim Carrey. Ah, uh, man, like they they've really had some tentpole individuals. Of course, the Wayans, mm-hmm. all the way from Marlon and Sean, who was a DJ at one point, and then they go on to have their own sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, just major props to all the individuals who showcase their talents on there, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So here's my, I got two questions. So one of the things that's really significant in this movie is that as he gets to the end, after, after Bobby Taylor has one gotten the part, he becomes, mm-hmm. he has this feeling of shame about the role that he's going to be playing. And he imagines right, right. this situation where the NAACP is actually boycotting him for playing this role, right? And Paul Mooney is in that scene and, you know. Yeah, shout out to Paul Mooney. As he always is, right? My question is, do, from your perspective, when we think about what people are willing to produce, is there Mm. shame anymore in what people produce? I guess really when you're talking about television, movies, or maybe social media. Mm. 
You know how ironic it is that you proposed this question? I just watched uh, a little skit blurb. I don't know what you call it anymore. Short uh, with Candace Owens speaking to the fact of uh, um, Ice Spice's song. Mm-hmm. Um, you think you think you, the you think you the yeah stuff, but you really you're not even yeah, you're not yeah, even yeah, a yeah. fart yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is what passes for music nowadays. Mm-hmm. So I can hear the condemnation in people saying, "Yo, remember what C. Dolores Tucker was saying?" Mm-hmm. And now this is this is the great grandchild mm-hmm. of that. You know what I mean? Like we went from being investigative reporters talking about that where nwa wasn't the norm not everybody wanted to be hard or a gangster like you had diversity you could have literally a cool keith talking about some astronomical space p-funk like just out of this world type stuff you had the daisy lovers and de la you know everybody wanted to be different if you were biting you Mm -hmm. were whack now we have these individuals who all want to be the same clone version which the roots said don't mm-hmm. be a clone now you got these clones out there who are automatons and they just spit the same thing and then the people the masses the powers that be try to convince you that that joint is yeah. dope that that is groundbreaking i say that that build-up is to say this one there's no way that this movie could be made again even though i want to see it made again And the reason why is individuals pride themselves too much on just getting clicks. The whole, you know, any type of publicity is good publicity. So there is no, so there is no shame. In fact, I would argue the more degrading, the more outlandish, the more self-depreciation, the, the, the buffoonery that you can put out there, the more people yeah, that's, like it. That's that's really what um that gets the bamboozled, right? That's that's really kind yeah. of what's there. It's it's really interesting because like, you know, they they say that like there's there's three kind of um cultures that societies are under. Like there's shame culture, there's fear culture, and then there's like mm-hmm. a pain culture. Or maybe I'm I'm wrong about the pain part, but shame culture is basically saying that people's behavior is influenced by not wanting to be embarrassed in the face of other people mm-hmm. whose opinions they value. In in this movie, mm. Bobby Taylor does not want to be an embarrassment to black people vis-a-vis the NAACP. And he doesn't want to be an embarrassment mm-hmm. to his family. So that shapes mm-hmm. what decisions he makes. That's like evidence of shame culture, right? Now, nowadays they say like American society is marking the idea of fear culture and fear culture being more along the lines of um, your behavior is is controlled by what kind of repercussion will happen from what you're doing. So if I'm going mm-hmm. to be punished for something, then I won't do it. Well, there isn't a punishment for that because like you said, we're in a world now where so much is really based on just people liking something that there isn't really a consequence for something. And, it, and it's really, you know, we're, we're not we're not even in that time where People are going to take your record out. There's not even records to take out and burn or stomp mm-hmm. that even like that, that kind of protest is not even real. You can't even do it because of the way that people get things. So it is unfortunate. I don't, I, I agree. I don't think that shame, we're definitely not in a shame culture and I don't think in mass people really experience it, which is why I think you see a lot of the behaviors that you do, which Unfortunately, maybe maybe there does need to be a modern day Hollywood shuffle. Maybe it needs to be called, you know, social media swipe or something, but something that gets to the heart of why mm. are we so why are we chasing these ideas of like presenting ourselves in cer- certain ways to get likes or to get attention or maybe to get, you know, a certain monetization. I don't know. Well, think about that. The the word that we used was likes. That's the ironic part. You don't necessarily like it, but it serves a purpose of an entertainment value. So you check that box that you like it, even though you don't like it. The other thing too that is like, you just said like I even yeah. said it again. Like even the 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 thing that is ironic along those same lines is the sense of, hey, there are no checks and balances, is what we're speaking to. 
where you're holding yourself accountable. And this word is kind of like found itself at the forefront of a lot of discussions, whether it be um, how individuals uh, relate to one another, whether it be husband and wife, girlfriend and boyfriend, the dating culture, or even just sports, where we talk about the name in the front is more important Mm -hmm. than the name of the back. And that topic that you speak of where uh, Bobby is so concerned about the NAACP, where it it permeates Mm -hmm. through his dreams and it manifests itself uh, in him being very... uh, critical of his uh, acting ability in front of his his girlfriend and Marie mm-hmm. Johnson, shout out to her, um, his grandmother and his brother, where, you know, those things, you don't think they exist anymore because you're so much like it's all about me and, and I'm not looking into the future where you'll have these individuals who are uh, doing OF or who are... Um, uh, I'm trying to yeah, find gotcha. a more diplomatic way of saying these things. Uh, um, who are um, revealing themselves in a very provocative manner in a certain right. facility. That was really, really um, well done there. They, <laughs> that was really uh, well done. It's really well done. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, where they, um, they don't think, oh, in 10 years, I may have a child. And they may be yeah. scrolling through, happen to see some old stuff, which is kind of why um uh a certain family of sisters who are known to um (laughs) date um individuals um why they were very concerned about a certain uh video Mm -hmm. coming to light again and they were making a concentrated effort to squash that before it became something more because that's all about repercussions and i think this movie does a great job of emphasizing that point in a very uh, shrewd manner where it doesn't beat you in the head, but it does so in a way where you are reminded, like, don't do that. That might come back to bite yeah, you. Because there's, yeah, there's consequences mm-hmm. for the behaviors. And and it's interesting, you know, you can't have hyper-individualization and shame oh, at no, the of same course time. Not. Because when, ev- when everybody believes they are the end-all be-all, who, who can you really be accountable no to? Doubt. So I definitely agree with you on that. Um, so this is my last question about this movie. And this is one that I, I thought about a little bit. And I'm curious for your perspective on it. So how relevant is this movie in 2024? Oh, man. And, and, and the reason why I'm posing that question is because, you know, at this time, there weren't a lot mm-hmm. of roles. And there wasn't the, the width and the depth of expression certainly in movies that we have right. today, right? Like I said, like, you know, you mentioned Tyler Perry in mm-hmm. the beginning of the show. Tyler Perry has his own, he has studio. his own studio mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. Home production studio. He can make his own movies, right? You see 50 Cent is like, has, you know, single-handedly kept stars alive through the power of series, right? And BMF. So he, he's, he's like, right. So he's doing he's doing that. So, you know, increasingly black people are, are to your point earlier, more behind the scenes as well as, behind the cameras, as well as in front of the cameras, is it possible that this movie is not, I don't, outdated is probably not the right word, but is it still as relevant of a story of what the world of film looks like today as it was before? I think this is your favorite rapper and arguably definitely my number five, maybe even number four, always says that the whole idea is original. So with that being mm-hmm. said, what we have now is nothing more than a remake of a remake of a remake of a remix. We didn't even get to the mm-hmm. original yet. And by that, I mean, this movie does an excellent job of not only highlighting uh, unsung heroes like a Grand L. Bush, who we talked about in um, Die Hard, who would later show up in things like Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, but it does a great mm-hmm. job of highlighting his forebearers a la John Witherspoon, rest in peace, who I don't even have to tell anybody, but anything from Boondocks to Friday to um, Boomerang, you name it, he's been in it. Classic, so, legendary. So, yeah, legend. so that's a way of giving back. It's a way of melding all generations. It's a way of spotlighting, hey, you know what? We don't necessarily have to have the billion dollar movie but this is still a classic that will be timeless and shown throughout perpetuity. With that being said, Mm -hmm. 
it'll be difficult to do what we do without this movie, but it'll be even more difficult if we don't continue to have movies like this. Um, you have an amalgamation of individuals behind the scenes in front of the camera. You have someone who wrote in tandem with his brother uh, a project which started out as a labor of love that was supplemented by other jobs that he did simultaneously in 87. So Robert mm-hmm. Townsend would go on tour. He'd do comedic roles. He would do stand-up. And then he would also do major films that would help to bring in additional income because it wasn't just the 40 that everybody talks about, Oh, he put it on his credit card. It wasn't just that they still had to bring in <laughs> money because there was still a goal. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like that didn't yeah. just appear out of osmosis. Like they had to do something to bring that about. Um, simultaneously, we're talking about um, individuals coming together as a collective. So whether it's the woo or a host of Southern artists from TI to outcast, basically selling stuff out of their trunk mixtapes, whatever have you, to get their name out there, to get their buzz out there. Um, you know, I draw the parallel because it's still entertainment. Um, when they did Rapper's Delight, you just had individuals who were out on the street corner just doing their thing, and they weren't necessarily into it for getting paid. They were into it for the love of the art. And Robert Townsend yeah. shows that in this movie where it's about his labor of love and his devotion, where he's respectable to the craft for the sake of it, because he remembers, you know, um, uh, individuals like, uh, oh man, I'm, I see her face in my um, name. Um, Hallie, um, no, not Hallie. Uh, what's the name of the lady who won, won the first Academy Award for um, supporting actress? She was known for being, depicting all of the, uh, uh, big mama roles where she would have like she was in Gone that's with the Wind, Haley McDaniel's. So um, that's what's a Hattie, Hattie McDaniel's. Yeah. Hattie, yeah. Hattie McDaniels. Yeah. So he remains true to that because, like you said earlier, there's individuals who did work that they didn't necessarily want to do. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to do, you know, uh, shucking and jiving or uh, go and fetch it. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to do these things, but you know they understood that there was a bigger purpose. That you know. I may not get there in my lifetime, which is something like some for those that watch uh, animation, you know, the Hokage, the first Hokage in Naruto says, you know, we'll leave it to future generations to continue our work. And I think that's the part where we miss where, you know, we'll say like, oh, I can do it myself, the rugged individualism, whatever have you. Um, but this movie, to your question, um, it does a great job of showing that, you know, as a collective, we can get there together. Um, I think it's in the five heartbeats where they're like, um, you know, individual fingers or something to that effect are dope. And, you know, they can do a lot. But as a fist, we can do a lot more. Yeah, so it's the same thing here. So that's that's I, I appreciate all that you said there. Um, as a part of a continuum in a story. Yeah, of course, it, it is. It is relevant. So, yeah. OK. All right. That's good. That's my question. That's that's what I got. But that segues to my question for you. And that is, can you make it as an entertainer without compromising your principles? Man, it's, um, you know, I, this is what I think. I think this is, that's a great question. I think it depends a lot on what you define as making it. Mm. Because I, I think, I think, um, I, earlier, earlier on, you were saying something about, I think it was Ryan Leslie you were talking about. And Ryan mm-hmm. Leslie figured out, if I identify my niche market, my niche group that's going to really support me, right? My target audience, sorry, that really supports me. I can cultivate that and I can, within that space, be extremely successful. I can make it mm-hmm. in that sense. If I want to become more and more and more popular, and more mm-hmm. and more and more accessible and more and more and more palatable, then I don't see how you can do that without in some way making compromises on mm. what you're producing or what you're saying or what you're doing. You know, I don't, uh, you know, there's something about the idea of mass appeal that to be able to appeal to all the masses, you sort of have to figure out how to be as right in the middle on everything as possible. Mm. And no one, you know, it's no one really is like that in real life. 
And so people that are able to do that are people that are really able to play that game that way. I think that for all of us that decide to create anything that you put out for public consumption, you have to ask the question of who is this for and how, and like, am I, am I comfortable with reaching those people? Mm. So like, you know, me, like, this is not like me and you are not Cisco Niebert, right? We're not <laughs> gold to gold. No kidding. Right. We're also not speed and Tyrone, right? We're not, the goal is not necessarily a show on NBC talking about movies, mm-hmm. right? Right now, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but that's not the goal. When we got started, it was like, Hey, we wanted to do something to talk about movies that were, that were important to us that were talked about from a certain perspective that we thought resonated with people. Right. And that's why we're doing it. If we get that, then we made it. Mm. So I think like making it, however you define making it is going to decide how much you compromise. And if you're really focused on what you're making it is and who your audience is reflects authentically who you are, I don't think you have to compromise. Mm. I like that. And And I got to go back. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. And I got to go back and say, um, when you mentioned the no ideas original, that's Nas, by the way. So that's Nas is like my favorite MC. You have my number four. I, I don't get that, but you know, that's not, that's not here. That's neither here nor there. Maybe, maybe one day there'll be a sticky floors movie, a uh, music podcast to get into that. One, but we don't, we don't move on to this popcorn for this movie. So, um, all right. So popcorn boxes, we're rating it. Um, I'm gonna go first. So I'm rating this at three and a half. Um, I know that that's sacrilegious mm. right now, but mm. I, I would just say that I, I, if somebody were to ask me like, Hey, I want to, I want to watch something about the entertainment industry and how it engages, how black people engage with it. I absolutely would tell them you got to start by watching this movie. Mm. I would actually say, yo, you got to watch this. I definitely tell them you got to watch bamboozled. I definitely tell them you should see American fiction. Right. That being said, it's not one of my. This is not necessarily one of my favorite movies, which is why it's at three and a half. So I think it's very mm-hmm. important, and I would rep- and I would definitely refer other people to it, and to anybody listening or watching, absolutely go out and see it because it's an important story, and it's and as Will has so are so Mister Will, I'm sorry, has so clearly articulated, <laughs> it's relevant, just not one of my favorites. What you got I on the, what you got what you got on the popcorn scale? Oh man, because of the impact that it's had on pretty much the past 30 years what is it 87 yeah mm-hmm. so yeah for almost well whoa i'm not even doing it 36 years right i don't know either I'm way not, this is not a math show so i don't know <laughs> it's about movies man not, we ain't doing math you're gonna make me pull a calculator out here on this thing. <laughs> uh, correction is 37 years but um the thing that uh really like intrigued me about this movie was how it was able to balance everything from having a, a, a strong voice that emphasizes something positive, something that was a little comedic, something that was a little, it had tidbits of action in there. Um, and it drew upon different influences, whether it was, you know, your detective black and white show, uh, your romance, your drama, um, you name it, rom-com, all in one. Uh, I like the fact that uh, it helped a lot of individuals jumpstart their career. Absolutely. I like the fact that uh, these individuals still continued to work with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that it paid homage to those that came before them and gave them uh, a chance to maybe revitalize their career or to continue to put their face out there. So uh, for me, I'm going with five boxes of popcorn. I figured that's where um, you're going yeah, definitely, man. I've Five boxes all time. Like, you know how there's certain movies that you just gotta watch. This is one of the movies that you you gotta watch. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely on the high referral tip. So yeah, I dig that. Definitely. I dig that. Um, all right, so let's just so like just closing thoughts on this movie. You know, I would just say that um, you know, like there's that there's this expression of Ubuntu, the idea of like me and we, and within this movie, we've talked about it a couple times, but just for the final time. The character that Robert Townsend is playing, Bobby Taylor, is never an individual. He's connected mm-hmm. to everyone in this wor- in the world that he lives in, and the world is aware of his dreams. So you mentioned mm-hmm. in the beginning his mother ironing his shirt for his for his for his, for his um, audition. Right? She supports mm-hmm. him in it. He goes to see his girlfriend. She supports him with it. 
even the people at the hot dog stand that hate on him, they know his mm-hmm. goal is to be an actor. When he mm-hmm. gets the role, he becomes concerned about how all of these different people are going to view him because he's connected right. to those people. So everything that he does, he feels like is a reflection of them. And that is like the, like, that's like the, the um, simplified kind of core principle idea of Ubuntu. I think one of the strange, one of the really strongest points of this is that he's never separated from his community. And as a result, he ultimately makes a decision that supports the community. And in that, he also then supports himself and still finds a way to continue his dream, but to do it with a classy and respectful way. So that's my quick thought about the about this movie and uh, what you got for the people. Oh, man, that was very eloquent. I'm running with something similar uh, along those lines. Um, and it's the sense of uh, commitment. Uh, he had a fortitude to continue to pursue his dreams even though individuals near and dear to him said, uh, look at you, the only person you know that almost made it was your uncle, and now he's sweeping up hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so he used those individuals, you know, a la Michael Jordan making up stuff about people and even Shaq saying that uh, he was, uh, you know, uh, giving some snide remark or whatever have you. These things that motivated him continued to be a source of inspiration as well mm-hmm. because you know, he, it, it causes him to go and talk to his uncle who gives him, you know, the familial advice of, Hey, I failed only because I stopped listening to myself and I continued to listen to others and their voices became louder while mine became diminished. Mm -hmm. But I was really happy and I was really alive when I was on stage. And I think that resonated so much with me, um, where we're here right now before you giving you this message, if not for CJ, you know, encouraging me to uh, designate the time to, you know, take down notes or to revisit a movie, I'm pretty sure I would have been content about my day to day. Um, So this is a reminder for me, maybe that's why it resonates so much with me in that regard. Um, I think it also speaks to the sense of commitment with your family. Because the first thing he says in the scene is, hey, when I make it, we all yeah, make it. Yeah, yeah. Even when he's with his friends at the basketball court, his his brother, Absolutely. his mom. Absolutely, yeah. So I just think that, you know, that sense of commitment and understanding your position in the world. Because, you know, even though it's a quote unquote black movie, this is a, a movie that says, hey, there's a space for everyone. And I'm all for individuals being able to verbalize their experience because as a good friend of mine said, you know, we all want to be loved, heard, and respected. Mm -hmm. And this movie kind of promotes, and I think that's why it also hits home with just people at large. So whether you're Vietnamese or you are uh, Irish, whatever it may be, or you're maybe you're bisexual or you're uh, uh, handicapped, I think the, the, the commitment to following your path your passions, your desires in a very constructive way is what this movie speaks about because it talks about humanity as a whole from the black perspective. And I think that's what anyone wants to be when they uh, put themselves out there or expose themselves. They want their individual culture, ethnicity, gender, orientation, whatever have you, to be heard and to be respected, not just, okay, yeah, you have your peace. Now go go sit in mm-hmm. the corner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the thoughts on a Hollywood shuffle. Once again, um, something that we both recommend. So if it's not something that you've heard, that you've, you've, if you've never heard of the movie, go see it. Um, I, I watched it again on Amazon. That was how I was able to find it. So I know it's, I know it's oh, okay. available there for people that want to check it out. Um, next week, we will be continuing this uh, discussion of, of, Black movies for Black History Month. And we're actually gonna be talking about bamboozled. So we're actually gonna do that one. Mm. Um, so that's gonna be that's gonna be um a good show. You know, I, I can't end this show without just um saying this note. So before we taped this, um, you know, as many of you know, Carl Weathers passed away. And Carl oh, Weathers, yeah, former Carl, Carl Weathers, um, known by so many people as Apollo Creed, right? The first Creed. And really just like one of those people who created a character that resonated so much with so many people and was so important. 
for us in this show, the first story that the first movie that we did was Creed two. And part of what we talked mm -hmm. about was Creed two was so important because it was the continuation of the, the death of Apollo Creed in Rocky fourth. So you could almost draw a direct line from Rocky four to Creed two and how traumatic it was as a child to see Apollo Creed get killed because that character was so valuable and important. Obviously he also was like Dylan in Predator. And of course he was actually- He gotten soft, <laughs> Dylan. Of course, he was Action Jackson. And he played, um, he was in the, the Mandalorian. I could never say his name right. So mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say, say that character's name right there. Mm -hmm. But that was just a really, he created so many things that so many people loved. And I know that for both of us, we loved it as well. So I definitely wanna give a shout out to him and his family as well. Will, as you always say, your rest in power to Carl Weathers, man, because he did his work. And uh, we're going to continue to do our work. Next week, we'll be back talking about Bamboozled. The Sticky Forest podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. We are also on YouTube. So please like, subscribe, comment. Your comments help us to do this better. And we will see you next week. Peace.